Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema I'm Gary And I'm Chris And this is our second Original versus Remake episode Yes Um. So this is a little different to the last one um, So I'm going to start off actually uh, This episode with the uh, The votes of our uh, Of our listeners mm. So um, When we did A Nightmare on Elm Street it was no competition. Uh, you had like four votes for the remake and every other vote was for the original. Now, this week we're talking about the supernatural horror film The Haunting. And this is quite puzzling. Of course, the original won uh, with 75 votes across the three platforms we put it on. But the 1999 version, the remake, got 40 fucking votes. I've find that baffling people who commented um you guys have been telling us how much you love the remake because you find Catherine zeta jones hot okay now come on i'm here a gay man and i'll tell you Catherine zeta jones is hot yes oh, yeah one of the most beautiful women i mean you look at that opening mo- few moments of chicago i'm pretty sure i turned straight for five minutes <laughs> but you know that's not a reason to love a fucking film <laughs> That's the, you can't vote for it because the actress is hot. Um, yeah, I think if I'm being honest, maybe people hadn't seen the original. Uh, you, oh, someone did comment that earlier today, actually, and said they didn't know there was an original. Wow. Um, but, yeah, and then other people said about nostalgia, of course, I, I, we, we say often on this podcast, you know, a lot of films are loved because of nostalgia, so I get that. Oh, and we're guilty of that. Yeah. You know, there's no denying. Yeah, I mean, and you know, everyone's opinion's their own, but fuck me, the 1999 remake was not great. No, <laughs> no, really bad. Um, uh, well, let's start off with a bit of trivia for both. So, the original uh, The Haunting was released in 1963, uh, directed by Robert Wise, director of West Side Story, Sound of Music, The Day the Earth Stood Still, and Star Trek The Motion Picture, to name a few. He was one, definitely one of those of studio directors that um, directed movies of all genres. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think this might be the only film of his I've actually seen. Um, definitely need to watch some more. You've never seen Sound of Music, and I, I remind you of that often. And then just show me it. <laughs> So it was released on a budget of uh, $1.4 million and it made $742 at the box office. I really, I don't feel like that's true. It is. I've looked I on multiple websites. I feel like... I can't believe it. You've been lied to several times. Honestly, you... It seriously could not have made that little. Genuinely. It was a massive flop. Ooh. And I don't get how, because this is no. honestly one of the greatest ghost films of all time. Well, th- for me, it's one of the greatest horror films yeah, of all yeah. time. I first watched this um, when Chris took me to see it at an old theatre in where we live in Coventry. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's an old theatre. It's quite eerie in there. And, oh my God. Now, this is like three years ago, and I was terrified. It was so scary. Um, I mean, I don't think it's even just because of the surroundings, because even when I watch it now, it still freaks me out. It's just, there's something about it that, you know, if you believe in ghosts or not, this film will scare the life out of you. It's the techniques used behind it. It's just, it's fantastic. Mm. It really is. When did you first watch it? Oh, Jesus. Uh, 
probably about 15 years ago. Um, maybe even more. It was uh, late night viewing on Halloween. It was on... Um, I'm not even sure if the channel exists anymore. TCM, Turner Classic okay. Movies. Yeah. Uh, it was on there. I, I stuck it on and yeah, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I just, I didn't expect it. I didn't expect it to be that good or that scary. And it's interesting, if you look at it now um, in comparison to a lot of modern horror films, like uh, to name a few that I think are taken stuff directly from it, if you look at Paranormal Activity and uh, Insidious and even The Conjuring to a certain extent, many of those films, that are these supernatural horror films of nowadays, it genuinely looks like they've took so much from this film. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think the film itself... Um owes a little debt to obviously the novel that it came yes, from like, yes. like so any adaptation we did. should say it is based on the novel by shirley jackson yes shirley jackson um but also you know i know it's a cliche but hitchcock yeah you know hitchcock was the master oh, yeah. of suspense and this is a very suspenseful film yeah and even like um you know towards the beginning of this film the way uh, the character of Eleanor runs away. It's very much in the style of Psycho. Yeah, um, yeah. So you know, there's definitely some Hitchcock influence there. Yeah, like like every film ever made. Yeah, <laughs> and also if you haven't seen either of these films, I mean, not only you know do we recommend to check the original out, um, you know the remake if you must. You may know of this story from this film because of the Netflix series, The Haunting on Hill House. Yes. Haunting of Hill House, even. Um, we haven't watched it yet ourselves, but uh, it is based on the same novel. It's been well received, uh, is not it? It's very well received. Uh, Mike Flanagan, the director, has gone on to do Doctor Sleep, and I believe there is a season two coming. Season two is a different story. It's, a diff- though, it's based yeah. on Turn of the Screw. The Turn of the Screw. Yeah. I see. Um, which was the basis for the innocence, and I, yes, I I have to say the innocence came out before the haunting. Okay, that's interesting. They're similar, very similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah they are quite similar. So this is Martin Scorsese's favorite horror film. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, uh, Claire Bloom, lead actress, was introduced. Um, well, intrigued to play a lesbian character, uh, and her and Julie Harris actually didn't get on uh, during the film set because. Julie Harris liked to isolate herself away from the rest of the cast to get into character more. Yeah, Ju- Julie Harris um, was really a stage actress. Yeah. Um, she she'd been in films and she'd you know been successful in films. Probably most famously, uh, starring with um, James Dean in mm. East of Eden. Um, but she's, if I remember correctly. She's won the most Tony Awards of any actress ever. I, I believe she's won six. I, I, I think she's she's uh, deceased now. Mm. Uh, but she won six um, Tony Awards. Very, very um, successful stage actress. And uh, I think she took the craft very seriously. Oh, yeah. She... There's a little bit of method in there. Yeah. She, she kept herself away from the other cast members. Yeah, well, she actually suffered depression whilst filming this because she isolated herself so much. And uh, she was convinced that the other cast members weren't taking it as seriously as she was. Mm. But um, after it finished filming, she actually went to uh, Claire Bloom's house and uh, brought some flowers and... Uh, had a chat with her and explained it was all because of the method acting and it yeah. wasn't actually, you know, she didn't like her. And she puts in a 
fantastic oh she does yeah i mean they both do yeah they do i I think obviously julie harris had more to to, to do yeah really yeah um and speaking of uh, how claire bloom was intrigued to play a homosexual character the lgbt representation in uh, both this and its remake is actually it's fairly decent you know, I for mean, 1963, oh, absolutely. It's decent. The censors demanded that um, that Theo never touched Eleanor within the film um, because of you know 1960, mm. and uh, they actually ignored it. And uh, apparently, to uh, IMDb, they actually touch each other seven times throughout the film, Good. and that's you know that's great that they gave such a big fuck you to the censors. Not so great that it only made seven hundred and forty two dollars though. Yeah, and Eleanor calls her a natural. Yeah, at one point. yeah, that's uh, that's a little iffy. But yeah. um, but I mean, other than that, I mean, I was surprised when I first watched it at how blatant the LGBT representation oh, she's, was. She's blatantly a lesbian. Yeah, I mean, she's look at the remake. Fucking Catherine Zeta Jones comes in with her first few lines of dialogue. She reveals she's a bisexual, polyamorous. Lady. Yes. <laughs> She basically screams it at the camera. There's no subtlety to that one. There no, there's no subtlety to any part of that <laughs> film, which is really obvious compared to the original, which yeah. is very subtle, but we'll get on to that. Uh, Robert Wise got the rights to the Hill House novel after reading a review of it, and uh, him and Shelley Jackson actually discussed... Shirley. the uh, Shirley Jackson, shall I say. Uh, actually, are you sure Shirley? It is Shirley. Jackson. Oh, that's just my handwriting. It's terrible. <laughs> um, they they discussed the ideas for the film, and she d- she chose the title for it. She decided to shorten it down. Um, the original idea was actually to have Eleanor have a nervous breakdown, and the whole film was going to be set in the same house, but the house was going to be a mental institution. Oh, okay. And all the other characters were just going to be doctors and patients. And that was going to be the big twist. I think that was just going to be the film. Oh, that was just going to be yeah, the premise? straight oh, out. Was, oh, how weird. Because I don't think the novel's like that. Forgive no. me, I've never read the novel. Um, I'm, I'm assuming the, the, the film, the 1963 film, stays true to the novel. Yeah. The, um, the exterior of the house is a real house, but everything inside is all set designs. Nice. Did you know that? Yes. Is that, is that true for both films? It is, but we'll get on to... The, the remake's actually got a little more interesting uh, facts on that one. Um, and this is Robert Wise's favourite film that he made. Hmm. Uh, he said he, he is his favourite filmmaking experience, and it's amongst his 10 or 12 favourite films of his. Oh, okay. 10 or 12, so it's, it's at the back of it. He I was think. a studio director, though, so he probably churned out about two films a year. Yeah. And on to the remake... Uh, released in 1999, directed by Jean... Jean de... Boat, I'm going to say. Jean de... Let me have a look. No, I, it's my shitty handwriting. Jean de Bont. 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 Jean de Bont. Jean de Bont. Wow. Please continue listening. We are more professional than this, I promise. <laughs> um, you know, 29 episodes in. You should know by now, you know. Um, so he is the director of Speed 1 and 2, Twister, and the cinematic masterpiece that is Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, Cradle of Life. <laughs> Cradle of Life. Yes. How come you said Cradle of Life, but you didn't say Speed 2? Cradle Cruise. of Life. Cradle of Life. Oh, sorry. Speed 1 and Speed 2 Cruise Control. Thank you. There we Thank go. Thank you. 
And Twister in the middle. Um, so they're quite a well-known films. Yeah. Really, like big budget. Well, this is big budget. This yeah. is 80 million and it made its money back. And then some. So, you know, oh. it's people uh, People actually watch this. There we are. Um, well, he would have been given a big budget after Speed. I think Speed did really well. There were some big names attached to this. Uh, Stephen King wrote the first draft of the script. Oh. And when it fell through, yeah, they didn't want it, they turned it into Rose Red, his novel. Oh. <laughs> so this film could have had a shittier ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Uh, it wasn't allowed to be called a remake because of the rights... Yeah, eighty million dollar budget, and you couldn't buy the rights. Well, I, really? Yeah, I I know we're doing a podcast called Original versus Remake, and technically it's not a remake. Uh, they weren't allowed to call it a remake, but but it's a remake. Realistically, it's a this remake. is a remake. There's, they just weren't allowed to. They just copy weren't allowed to call it any scene from the original. So they it was another adaptation of Sir Shirley Jackson's novel rather than a remake of Robert Wise's original film. So they weren't allowed to copy any scenes from it. Yeah, and it's honestly pathetic, the minor details they put in to change these things. Like, mm. there's one scene where someone literally just walks to a different room, and that's the only difference in that scene. Yeah. Um. So some of the sets in this film were actually... This is what I meant by this is, you know, um, some of the more interesting facts about interior design... Uh, were some of the biggest interior sets ever built for any film ever. Really? Yeah. Until this day? Until, well, I, I don't know if it's changed since, but at 1999, this is the biggest sets ever built. The sets are great, actually. If if I can give yeah. the film one credit. Well, no, that'd be Catherine Zeta Jones. Two credits. <laughs> um, then. Owen Wilson the... being decapitated. <laughs> <laughs> then the set design is, is one of them. It, it is. I bet it was a lot of fun working on the film, uh, acting in the film, should I say. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, it's interesting you said it, because Catherine Zeta-Jones and Liam Neeson were actually so scared on these sets that they refused to film after dark. Oh. So, yeah, it must have been great. Boy, because they thought it was haunted. <laughs> must have. Mm-hmm. Um, it was originally attached to Dimension with another big name, Wes Craven, to direct. How do you think that would have went down? Better than this shit. You think? Yeah. But he was in his Scream days and New Nightmare and Scream 2 was on top form. This was the year before Scream 3. True. But still the year before, not the year of. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, coming off the back of Scream 2, it could have been great. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what he would have done with it. Maybe made it a little slicker. Yeah. Um, Less bloated. It's a very bloated film. I don't think he would have used this much CGI. No. No. Uh, and then another name, uh, rumoured but never confirmed, that Steven Spielberg either directed some of the scenes from this film or participated, participated in post-production. But what is confirmed is that he was the executive producer, but he was so disgusted by the quality of the finished product that he removed his name from all the credits. Is that, not, is that not a similar story to The Turning that came out this year? Holy shit, it is! He did the exact same thing with that. Essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't know if Steven Spielberg has an affinity to these sort of stories, you know, Turn of the Screw, yeah. uh, The Haunted King of Hill House, uh, but he's put his hand to two of them. Well, look at, I mean, look at 
the film he definitely didn't direct, Poltergeist, you know. He yeah. obviously loves his Haunted House films. Maybe he does, yeah. So, but yeah, um, two two films, two haunting films based on novels that he's removed his name from. And the cast includes one Oscar winner and five Oscar nominees. Can you name them? Oscar winner is Catherine Zeta-Jones. Oh, God. Oscar nominees. Um... No. Um, Liam Neeson? Liam Neeson, I believe. I, I haven't, actually haven't gone written down. I thought you had them written down. Look right knob now. Todd, I assumed you'd know. Todd Field is in this film and he's definitely been nominated, but as a film Was Lily Taylor? No. Sorry, that's very rude, but no. Wow. <laughs> I think Owen Wilson maybe Owen was Wilson. for like writing something. I, d- I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I should have known, actually. <laughs> So, okay, before we get into comparisons, can you give us a synopsis of the 1963 original? Yes, I certainly can. And it won't be as awkward as the Nightmare on Elm Street one I did when I got caught off guard. Um, So, the story is of Dr. John Markway, who invites a group of strangers to partake in a paranormal investigation at the 90-year-old Hill House. Only two of these turn up, Eleanor and Theo, and they're joined by the sceptical nephew of the owners of the house. And uh, the house was constructed by Hugh Crane for his wife, who died in a carriage crash on the way there, so she'd never actually entered the house. Uh, Crane remarried, but his new wife died from a fall down the stairs. His daughter lived there until she died, never having moved out of the nursery. She died calling out for her nurse, who inherited the house, but hanged herself at the top of a spiral staircase. It was then inherited by the aunt and uncle of um, the sceptical nephew, whose name I haven't written down for some reason. Luke. Luke. (laughs) During their first night, Eleanor and Theo are terrified by loud noises and the supernatural occurrences continuing through the night. Um, further paranormal activity. <laughs> I was trying so hard not to say. I was trying so hard not to say paranormal activity because I knew it would make me laugh. Good work. Further paranormal activity takes place when the words "Help Eleanor, come home" are scrawled on the wall. Eleanor is terrified, but also feels a strange connection to the house. Soon, Mister Markway's wife Grace joins them. She is sceptical too and decides to spend a night in the nursery to dispel any ideas of um, ghostly goings on. (laughs) Um, Eleanor becomes more mentally unstable. Uh, Grace disappears after her night in the nursery. And she's... uh, As Eleanor becomes more and more unstable, Mr Markway asks her to leave. She refuses at first, but then speeds off in a car, the car seemingly controlling itself. Grace suddenly appears, and swerving out the way, Eleanor crashes into a tree and dies. The tree is revealed to be the same tree that Mrs Crane crashed into, and that Mr. Uh, Dr Markway believes there to be a second person in the car when Eleanor crashed. Dun, dun, dun. 
Are you finished? That was it, yeah, okay. yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, sorry. Oddly wow. specific. Now, I'm fortunate enough to read you the synopsis, summary, whatever you want to call it, of the 1999 remake. So, this one's a little more bloated, uh, but is a lot less interesting somehow. Uh, so we open up with a bit of drama with Eleanor and her family um, who are fighting over the will for her mother. Uh, and uh, she gets a phone call and we find out that Dr. Marrow, played by Liam Neeson, is uh, setting up a sleeping experiment to, for people who can't sleep from Zombiacs. So Eleanor goes to this house first. Uh, Theo meets her there. Uh, we get a bit of, uh, a bit of flirting. Uh, they start exploring the house. Uh, it's a little mechanical, a way more elaborate than the original. Uh, then we are introduced to Luke and the and Doctor Marrow. Get a bit of exposition about Ukraine, and then we get some other characters: Mary and Todd. Um, Mary gets slapped in the face by a piano string. Uh, as a cry about it, her and Todd go to the hospital. We never see them again. Um, there's some more flirting between uh, our two leading ladies. And then we get the loud knocking scene from the original. It's, it's a very cold room. Luke comes to investigate because he's a big hard man. And uh, then we get some CGI bedsheet ghosts. Uh, after this, they find a lion statue, which will be very important later on in the film. Uh, and a bit of some ashes in the fireplace. Uh, the welcome home Eleanor sign, we get that from the original. Uh, blood footprints coming from it. And an open door uh, to Crane's, Hugh Crane's study. Uh, we see some CGI ghosts and a book of children. Uh, they're all listed there. Eleanor finds Dr. Mara's tape recorder. Where he's talking about her losing her mind. Uh, she, finds some, she finds a picture book. And uh, uh, pointing to the fire. I've got a note down. I can't remember that scene. Uh, the door punches Eleanor in one of my favourite scenes from the film. Oh, yeah, she gets punched by a door. Um, Eleanor then revealed that the book of kids are all kids that Ukraine killed. Um, do the doctor is uh, study. He reveals, he reveals he's studying in group fear rather than uh, insomniacs. Uh, Eleanor's room starts. Uh, it, it grows eyes. Uh, throws her out of bed, and uh, she smashes a window. And the window smashes her back. Um, there's a weird CGI face swap on a painting. Um, then we re reveal she might be pregnant. Who knows? Uh, she finds some bones and it's uh, a skeleton that rises up at her. Great. Uh, then we get some more CGI ghosts. Eleanor goes to the top of the spiral staircase from the original. Um, the doctor helps her down, we think, because it just cuts to another scene. It's not explained. Uh, a statue tries drowning Leon Neeson. Eleanor's room comes to life. She gets locked in. Uh, the doctor reveals he actually never called Eleanor in the first place, so it was a ghost that called her. Ooh. Eleanor um, recreates her apartment in the house somehow, uh, like right down to her live, laugh, love sign on the wall. Eleanor finds out she's related to the ghosts. Luke gets decapitated by a lion statue. Best scene in the film. Eleanor fights a, a bird statue for a bit. Um, <laughs> write down CGI disaster. 
Giant CGI Ukraine comes to life. Eleanor's not scared of him. She tells him uh, it's all about family, you know, all that shit. The door drags Ukraine to hell. CGI ghosts say thank you to Eleanor. She goes to heaven. We get to see that happening. And uh, the caretakers uh, let do the Doctor and Theo out. And that's uh, The Haunting, 1999. What could be said about that? Um, I switched off a little bit then, actually. I'm so yeah, sorry. I mean, I did during the film, but... Yeah, <laughs> um, <sighs> yeah the, the, the basic premise is there. Um, the r remake... I'm going to say remake, fuck it. It is a remake. The remake tries to create some sort of twist yeah some sort of backstory that Ooh, was never where, really there where have we heard this before our last original versus remake episode yeah yeah it's true it, it gives too much away in every aspect yeah it really does there's no subtlety to it it's really bloated very bloated and they're about the same running time aren't they yeah um but the remake feels a lot longer mm-hmm um, way too much going on, particularly towards the end. Yeah. Well, um, start with the comparisons, the scares. So, 1963, everything is so subtle, it's intense, it, it, it sort of invented the what you don't see is what scares you method. Uh, to a certain degree, yeah. Filmmaking. yeah. It's really creepy. Like, some scenes that stand out for me, um... The first scene with the knocking. Oh, yes. It's, absolutely. You know, you're just hearing knocking. You're not actually seeing anything. I mean, the door bends out of it, which is weird. But um, yeah, for the most part, it's just knocking. It's what you don't see and what's in your imagination. Yeah. And that, that can be more tense and more scary. Yeah. Um, in the remake... It's all that it shows you yeah. it all. It's yeah. that, you know, it's like, is this the original? Is this Eleanor's imagination? Mm -hmm. Well, is it Theo's? What, you know, what connection do these people have to yeah. these ghosts? What are they doing? Um, it's very similar in a way to The Shining mm -hmm. uh, in the aspect of, you know, was Jack going crazy or was the hotel haunted? Yeah. Um, whereas with the remake, you know it's a ghost because you see the fucker. <laughs> yeah. And I think the original had better setup as well for the scares. Like, as in, you had the narration at the start of the film that tells you the story. You're very aware of why they're there. They're not, yeah. You've not got the Doctor lying about one thing or another to get them there. How fucking stupid are these it's... characters? Oh, come to this big, obviously haunted house and we're going to uh, look at your sleeping patterns. Fuck off. No, just go to a sleep clinic. Yeah, it's... A, it's a so dumb. Clinic. It's so dumb. Like, literally. It, it, why? Why the fuck would they fall for that? But it's... It, it, it's unnecessary. Yeah. It's unnecessary. You know, you could have just had the same as the original and just have them go to investigate, you know, a haunted house. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Another scene that stands out for me in the original is the scene uh, where Eleanor's in bed with Theo and uh, she can hear, like, children laughing and stuff and she can, she tells Theo to hold her hand and she's like, stop squeezing it so hard. But then, it, you know, she's on the couch. Somehow she's moved from there, from the bed to the couch overnight and it's just little scenes like that where it's just like, 
shit, this is fucking terrifying. Yeah. So it, we're it, led to believe that it's a ghost that was holding yeah, him in his hand. Yeah, and it, you know, it really masters it. It really does. Yeah. And there's one real good jump scare. When she's at the top of the spiral When she's at the top of the spiral staircase and Grace comes out and this is after she's disappeared and she looks like shit. Yeah. And, but she, she appears and scares the shit out of everyone. Um, that is a good jump scare. Oh, yeah. Because you haven't, you didn't have jump scares throughout the film. And so when you get one and it's so well done yeah. and it's the lead up to it is so suspenseful because we're too busy worrying that the stairs are going to collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, then the jump, you know, comes from Grace popping out. That's, that's good. That yeah. is great filmmaking. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, what proves that this film does its job well with, with the scares is the fact that we're watching this with a modern sensibility. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had films like... Since this film, we've had films like The Exorcist released. We've had A Nightmare on Elm Street. We've had so We've had these films that, you know, don't necessarily leave it to your imagination. We've had films that throw buckets of gore at you. Even suspense films like this, where they don't show you what's happening. We've had so many of them. But the fact that this still holds up above all of those as well with scares... It's yeah. incredible. When we when we saw it at the theatre, you know, there were some people in the audience that remember those two girls that sat in front of us and they're fucking shitting themselves. Yeah. And yeah. You, that's great. You know, the fact that he's still doing that to audiences to this day and anyone who's seen the original that I've spoke to has all said the same thing. The fact he's still doing that, you know, it's yeah. it's great. Good horror films transcend time. Yes. They, yeah. they really do. Yeah, that's how you know a film is a classic. Exactly. Uh, the 1999 version... I just write down nothing was scary. It wasn't There there was not one thing in that film that I found scary. No. Everything was so over the top. Um, You know, the CGI was just so in your face. There was no subtlety to it whatsoever. It was just non-stop the house coming to life and doing stupid shit. It It was goofy. Yeah, it it was goofy. And it, it felt... To me, it didn't feel like a horror film. No. Um, it felt like... Almost like an action-adventure film. Yeah. Like a family-friendly action-adventure mm. film. Just like The Mummy, of which the, released around the same time. Yeah, like, the, because the, the space was so big, mm. you know, if you'd replace the house, the haunted house, with, say, you know... Um, a, a cave mm. you could have had a fucking Indiana Jones film oh yeah absolutely I will say one thing the only the only sort of um, part that bordered on creepy was the uh, carousel room but they didn't yeah, they didn't use it they no. didn't take advantage of it you know when they did it looked dumb that's when you seen that she was pregnant um, but it's that was a fantastic set piece that really could have been used for some good scares it, it reminds me of a music video. Well, I mean, yeah, it didn't look like a music video, but... <laughs> Somebody did a music video in it. It was like Rihanna SOS <laughs> or something. Okay. I swear, I swear that would have made a great music video room. Um, <laughs> Get Lady Gaga in that room now. Oh, yeah. Um, speaking of which, Gays Rejoice. Lady Gaga's releasing a new single next Friday. 
She is, yeah. Or is it this Friday? This Friday. This Friday. And RuPaul's Drag Race starts on Friday as well. The same day. Like today? No, Friday. Oh, Friday. Oh, yeah, it is Friday. Yeah, you're listening to this on Friday. We're recording this on Wednesday. Today, gay heavens have opened up. And by now you'll know if Lady Gaga's new single shit or not. Or if it's good. Should be good. Waited long enough. Anyway, so, a bit of gay sidetracking there. Um, so, Scares, who wins? 1963 or 1999? It's easy. 1963. Sorry, CZJ. Sorry. CZJ. So, you ever called her that again? That's what I got wrote down as, because I couldn't be asked to write a full name. <laughs> Special effects, cinematography, and soundtrack. But, that's normally what this category is, but I've added set designs to this as well. I mean, it's such yes. a big deal in this. Uh, 1963, minimal special effects, like pretty much none. Yeah, it's only... The, the door the, bending. The, yeah, the, the real set pieces, the door bending and um, the, the shaky spiral staircase. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was just genuinely a shaky spiral staircase that like looked so dangerous. Yeah, it did, it, it did actually. <laughs> it did look quite dangerous. Um... The cinematography, I can't fault it. Uh, it's jaw-dropping. Like, especially from the, from the introduction, right from that point, during yeah. the narration, you know, up until the point, even with the staircase and everything, just everything, the way they've set those scenes up, it looks incredible. Yeah. and It's I, flawless. I, I think this is one of those times where age, you, you have to give them credit, you know, um... It wasn't quite, you know, there back then. Where no, now but, you can have but that's what I mean. Beautiful cinematography. Oh yeah, but, but that's what I mean. For it to massive look, budgets can take yeah. all around the world. But for it to look the way it does, considering it's on a budget yeah. in nineteen sixty three, that's great. It yeah. really is, and they chose to film it in black and white as well. And I think that adds to it. I think that was a fantastic idea. Yeah, you know, they could have filmed it in color. But I'm, I'm really glad they didn't. Um, I hope there's not a colorized version of this out there, like there was no, for Night of the Living Dead. We watched an interview where Robert Wise had it in his contract that it mm. would never be colorized. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, because. Um, somebody was going around in the fucking 90s colorizing old black and white films like Casablanca yeah and making them look like dog shit Night of the Living Dead Night of the Living Dead <laughs> oh god you can get every single version of Night of the Living Dead just getting fucking technicolor <laughs> film new scenes and yeah new fucking scenes um, shit 3D yeah all, like animated um, yeah George A. Romero really should have uh, kept hold of that copyright. <laughs> Bloody hell. Um, yeah, that was all through like one bit of paperwork being fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. now it's in the public domain, so you can do whatever you like with it. Um, yeah, but I mean, as I was saying, you know, cinematography is great. One of the shots um, of the spiral staircase, uh, I believe it's a shot going up. Um, yeah. That was achieved through a camera being put on the staircase and going down but put in reverse. Okay. That's just incredible. Like, yeah. they did so much with so little. And it, it, it all is to build suspense and yeah, to yeah, build yeah. tension. Uh, the soundtrack is f- amazing. A fantastic score. And, and and the thing is, it works best when the soundtrack's not present. Yeah. Like, the the knocking scene, all you can hear is those knocks and, like, the characters reacting to it. There's no score there. And, and in an age where 
a lot of things relied on the soundtrack to build the tension. Um, you know, and it works for a lot of films. It, it does work for a lot of. Would yeah. not be the same without the soundtrack. And it's the more traditional method, though, and you expect yeah. that to you know you expect that to be there. Mm. But I think that's one of the things that made this so effective is that it, there was a number of scenes where the soundtrack just wasn't there. Yeah. And that silence is more powerful than having the score there. But when the score is present, it is fantastic. Yeah, because they didn't rely on visuals, um, they had to use sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the set designs, it's great. It, it yeah, really right. is great. It, yeah. it looks fantastic um, inside the house. It really does. Yeah, it was built on a studio and Robert mm. Wise asked them to... Um, because it wasn't the done thing, but he asked them to build ceilings, yeah, um, to create a sort of claustrophobic feeling, claustrophobic yeah. uh, tension. Well, that's something that's missing in the remake because the remake is so massive. These sets are so yeah. huge. You ain't gonna get claustrophobic in there. No, no. Um, uh, yeah, and going on to nineteen ninety nine, like you said, the the sets are huge and. To be honest, I don't... It, I'm going to say it's a tie with the set designs because I think the set designs in the remake are fantastic. Yeah, and I think they're pretty cool. They're just not cool yeah. for um, the film yeah. itself. You know, if another film was filmed there, you know, if they did, um, like I said, you know... Uh, um, like a family, <laughs> but like a family adventure film set in a massive house like that, that would be great. Yeah, that would yeah. be a lot of fun. Um, but it doesn't work for really for a haunted house no. film because there's about a million different rooms. So yeah. if if weird noises are coming from the pantry, you can just go to one of the other rooms. Uh, the score's bland. I, I honestly it didn't stand out to me it just sounded like every other horror film score from around yeah, that time yeah I, I can't remember it cinematography fine it was alright it, it wasn't anything special saving the worst till last special effects Jesus this is 1999 do you know what even if I watched it in 1999 I think it still would have looked terrible don't you yeah it looks it just looks fake yeah it really just looks fake and it really takes you out of the scene. Because, uh, particularly now in 2020, when CGI is, you know, at its height. Um, but it really, it, it's comical. It's, yeah, it's hard to put yourself in the mindset of being uh, of back then. Now that, you know, you're getting fucking recreations of dead people in the form of CGI. Yeah. Um, you know... It's hard to look back, but then I think, you know, would I have thought this was okay at the time? I mean, I thought The Mummy Returns looked good at the time with uh, The Rock in uh, in his CGI form. And looking at that now, it's like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, but it's it's like um, PlayStation 1 games. Yeah. I mean, when, when I used to... For some reason, I thought PlayStation 1 games, you know, remembering, looking back, I didn't know that it were like, block square look shit no <laughs> you know it was like the height of graphics back in the day i thought it really looked great oh my uncle you know was showing off when he had tomb raider on playstation One. Like, look look how amazing this looks yeah it's like oh jesus now it's like oh my god it's just blocks it is, it is. <laughs> and she's, she's got weird boobs isn't she yeah 
But, you know, special effects, cinematography, soundtrack, the winner is obviously 1963, but it's a tie for set designs because I don't know. Because, I mean, the original, it works because it's claustrophobic. The remake, it works because it's of an epic scale and they look great. They look you know, great. It's Just, impressive. It, it's it really not, is impressive. maybe not fit for purpose. No, but it's a tie for that reason. Yeah. And the bit you've been waiting for, characterizations and acting. Starting with Eleanor, played by Julie Harris in 1963 and Lily Taylor in 1999. Um, this is going to be a little more difficult than when we did Nightmare on Elm Street. Because, not so, well, I mean, not so much for this character. Because um, I love Lily Taylor, but fuck me. It wasn't the best, was it? No, no. I, I, don't, think, I don't think she was particularly good at conveying a um, sense of being irrational. Yeah, in fact, actually, no, I'll, I'll tell you about the only one that's going to be difficult for is the next character. Uh, but for, for Eleanor, I mean, the winners are, are Julie Harris by far because she she was genuine. She acted like she was terrified. She acted like you, you could believe she, she may have been losing her mind. Yeah. It was all believable. You know, she wasn't... I mean, the character herself, through both films, isn't a strong female character. No. You know, she's very much uh, very wimpy and... But you know, at the end... I, I, you know, Eleanor uh, in the original, you know, mm. she never really became kick-ass. She never... No. And it's it's sad. It, it, it's Her story yeah. is a tragic story, yeah. eventually. Whereas in the remake, they felt the need, they felt forced to suddenly make her this kick-ass character yeah. who's fighting and it wasn't believable lion statues yeah. Um, yeah I mean you know in the original as well you had the added emotional impact of her running away as yeah. well um, she experienced paranormal activity as a child at that character in the original yeah. so you know you got that little bit of background there so there's a lot more build up for her you felt more invested in her whereas in the remake when we were introduced to Eleanor um, at first, it feels like that scene, starring Virginia Madsen, by the way. Yes. That scene is, is just there because it has to be. Yeah. It, it felt like there was no real purpose to it. It's this is we we want you to feel sorry for this yeah. character. Um, this is going to be the the heart of the film, um, Eleanor. Um, so we need you to feel sorry for her. So we're going to put in this scene where her sister's a bitch. You know, it's the same as the original uh, and I'm assuming same as the novel. Um, now, you know, feel sorry for this downtrodden woman. And then what they were wanting to do is obviously see Eleanor overcome all this and become a strong female at the mm. end who eventually sacrifices herself to save the day yeah, from these big, bad, ghostly statues that are out to kill everyone. Mm. Um, in another film that maybe would have worked, you know, yeah. we, we all love a uh, kick-ass female character, uh, but that's not the story that no, should be told. The no. story is the tragic story of Eleanor, who, you know, tragically loses her life... And a very sad life, and it's 
a sad end. Yeah. Where it's this is too comical to be sad because her acting gets worse as the film goes on. Yeah, and it does. Lily Taylor, she was great in The Conjuring. She was really good in Leatherface. Um, she's probably one of the best things about Leatherface. Um, you know, everything she's been in that I've seen her in, she's always been really good. But this is just... She hams it up so much. It's so over the top. Um, her character's obsessed with the fucking fireplace with all the children's faces on it. Yeah. Which reminds me, my, another one of my favourite scenes is you've got all these children's faces on the fireplace, all these statues and whatever... And the ghost appears, and the fucking fireplace faces actually look scared at the ghost, yeah. and it just looks hilarious. It looks comical. I don't know why they felt the need to make her into Jessica fucking Fletcher. No. Trying to solve the murder and of these children. I, I found there was more gaslighting of her character as well in the remake. Like, in the original, you very much felt like Theo was there with, um, with Eleanor. Yeah. But even in this one, the other characters might as well have not been there. And when they were there, there was so much denying like what was going on. Like, oh no, it ain't, it ain't this, it ain't that, and whatever. But I felt it was a little different in the original. They've, yeah. I felt there was a bit more belief there. I don't... I, the, my problem is, and it's not necessarily with the characterization, but it comes from this, is the fact that they were lured to this house mm. under an insomnia study. Yeah. Uh, when really it was a study in fear. I'm still confused about that one. Um, (laughs) So she's had no connection to paranormal uh, goings on uh, in the past. Whereas with Eleanor, we had that. And the idea that ghosts and spirits latch on to the vulnerable, um, it's, you know, a tale as old as time. Um, so this Eleanor in the new film, she's an insomniac. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't even look that tired. No, none of them do. Apart from the two characters that leave, like, after five minutes. As somebody who never gets a good night's sleep and (laughs) looks very tired a lot of the time, um, I was rather jealous of the fact that (laughs) none of the, no one in this film looked fucking tired, even though they're insomniacs. As you were saying about, you know, the original character being tragic and, and such, in the original, when you see Eleanor desperately wants it to be all about her, and she's constantly like, yeah, he wants me, the ghost wants me. It's kind of sad because, you know, she wants that acceptance now because she hasn't really got anything else in her life. Yeah. In this, it's just fucking annoying. They, they do it as in family. So her connection is that she's related to um, Hugh Crane. Yeah. Um, he wants me It's he's related to me it's me 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 yeah so I don't know what they're trying to do there um, in the original Eleanor's trying to find the acceptance that she never had um, in the remake she's trying to find the family that she never had is that what <laughs> I don't know what, what they were the trying to do with her. I think so I mean we get to see her go to heaven at the end <laughs> To, to, to what to be with the kids to be with all the children saved. you know I was confused uh, so Julie Harris you are our Eleanor yeah Julie Harris fantastic actress fantastic characterization of Eleanor you know this is your tragic lead this is the heart of the film this is what I maybe maybe I'm a bit grim um, but sometimes I like it when you know 
the person you're rooting for actually dies in the end. Well, you need a bit of emotional it's impact. It's effective. Next up, we have everyone's favourite predatory lesbian, Theo, played by Claire Bloom in 1963 and Catherine Zeta-Jones in 1999. So, I have absolutely no qualms with Catherine Cia Jones' performance. No, no, I li- I I like Catherine Cia Jones. I do- I don't I'm not necessarily know why, um, but I I like her. I like mm. her as an actress. I like to watch films that she's in. Um, I I don't know why. I think she's just great. I yeah. I generally do think she's just great. She's. Um, she's like Kate Beckinsale. She is. She is. Yeah, like on a bigger scale. Well, I just like I like Kate Beckinsale. Yeah. She might not be in the best films. She might not be the best actress. Mm. Um, but she's got a likability. Yeah. And, yeah. So uh, I've got no issues. Have you seen Claire Bloom in anything else? I feel like. Have I seen Claire Bloom in anything else? Oh, she was in something famous. Uh, it wasn't James Bond, um, but she, she was in... Um, I feel like it was with... Uh, Rich- oh, we have. We have. Um, Look Back in Anger. Oh, she was the in Richard Look Back Burton in Anger. Film. Yeah. Was she his wife? No, she was the friend oh, okay. that he uh, didn't get on with to begin with and then uh, ran off with. Yeah, Look, Look Back in Anger, for those who don't know, is a film that is a character study of a piece of shit. Yeah, so look, look back in anger was one of these kitchen sink dramas, uh, in the sixties, um, f- from Britain. It was, uh, I think it was the first Woodfall film. Uh, Woodfall were a production company, uh, quite successful in Britain during the sixties. They did Tom Jones, which won Best Picture, and um, they did Tom Jones. They did Tom Jones. <laughs> Not that Tom. Did, Jones. Didn't they all? Not that Tom Jones. Did you know the Henry Fielding novel? That Tom Jones has a bit of a represent uh, a bit of a well, reputation is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Oh. It's not unusual. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend oh, who apparently slept with Tom Jones and he has a massive dick. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Bit of information for there you all there. Go. How the fuck did we get to that point? You. Oh. Any, anyway, anyway, we went on a tangent about <laughs> Woodfall. And ended up talking about Tom Jones' dick. Um, so, <laughs> this is an old friend, but it's like a friend of the family. So, not like someone young that's like, okay, so, I, just I so don't you know. Care. Um, so, <laughs> so um, yeah, Claire Bloom's good in the role... I've never played either of them. No, original. But neither does Theo in the remake. Not really. I feel I, like Claire Bloom has more to do than Catherine Zeta Jones. Um, I think it's about even. I I think maybe Catherine Zeta Jones is Theo mm. uh, as a character is more memorable because she is more open about her sexuality. Yeah. Um, whereas Theo in the original film, um, seems to. She's definitely hiding a secret that she's not telling. Um, and she looks fierce throughout. They both look fierce throughout. Yeah, they're both fierce, both very flirty. Um, yeah. Which isn't... A, I just don't feel like that's much to do. You no. Know, 
Eleanor as a character must have been a, a lot more interesting to play because there's a lot more to do. Yeah. I mean, the original Eleanor was psychic as well, which is not something that's Theo. really explored. Uh, yeah, Theo. Theo. Yeah. Um, that, which is not something that's really explored with no. 1999. No, because in 1999, they're not... They're uh, not... Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're just... Uh, Although, I tired. think Mary may have... Do you know, I'm going to get to Mary in a minute. There's a lot to be said about Mary. <laughs> Mary. Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, Catherine Zeta Jones, even for 1999, you know, she uh, openly admits she has a boyfriend and a girlfriend within her opening moments of mm. being in the film. Even for 1999, that's quite quite yeah. out there, you know. Oh, yeah. it's, we still were in quite a bad place back then um, with, with everything. So the fact that, you know, someone could be so open in a film like that, I think that's great. Uh, she's also a fashion icon. <laughs> she is, yes. The outfits in this film that she wears are out of this world. Um... And she just slays the game. She does. She really does. So She's a bit of a fashion icon in the first film, though. She is. Very 60s. Um, Compared to the dowdy Eleanor. Yeah. In, in both films, Eleanor is, is dowdy. Yeah. She's very, she's very much playing Jane. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, I'm actually going to... It's probably the only award I'm going to give it. But um, Catherine Zeta-Jones wins it. Yeah, I love Catherine Zeta-Jones. She, she, is, uh, she is Theo. Sorry, Claire Bloom. It's very close. Um, I'm sure you're really upset about this. Um, 1963 and 1999, Luke, originally played by Russ Tamblin, and played by Owen Wilson, who apparently couldn't act early on in his career. Because oh what God, the fuck was awful. this? He was by far the worst actor. Oh he my was God! Absolutely terrible. He did his famous "Wow" mm. thing, like. A thousand times throughout the film. Is it in his contract to do that? It must be. Russ Tamblin is fucking... He's charming. He's funny. He's likeable. Because uh, you often get comic relief in films and it's very easy not to like him. I really liked Russ Tamblin's character yeah. in the original. I thought he was really, really likable. Uh, he had a great connection to the story. It was never... He never felt forced or anything. Fucking Owen Wilson just felt forced every scene he was in. He just shouldn't have been there. He, he was he was annoying. So annoying. It, he was annoying, and he was I don't know comic relief, but it wasn't funny. There were no. there were no real jokes. Um, no, he was constantly really. he was yeah. a bit obnoxious, creepy. Yeah, constantly trying to fuck Theo. It's like yeah. really, she is so out of your league. Yeah, very. Don't even start Owen Wilson. But the, the the character of Luke is different in both films. Yeah. So in the in the original. Luke is the nephew of the owners of the house and the the heir to the house. You know, the mm. house will be his when his uh, aunt and uncle die. So the whole idea is that they've asked that Luke go along um, as sort of their witness to yeah. events um, to make sure they're not doing anything that they shouldn't do, but also for Luke to have a chance to see what he will own eventually when his aunt and uncle die. So he's a sceptic. He doesn't think any of this shit's going on. Mm. Um, he's just there, um, you know, to sort of revel in the fact that all that will be his soon. And he starts to believe it all as the film progresses. So as more goes on, he starts to believe it. Yeah. And you need a character like that because you had Grace in the original film who was a sceptic. Yeah. But she she was the one who, you know, ended up going batshit crazy. She's not introduced to the into the film until quite later on, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least halfway through. 
Um, so you need that character of Luke who, uh, maybe a bit like the audience, you know, starts to believe it yeah. all and becomes involved in it. And, you know, if you see it through his eyes, then you're more likely to believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke in the remake is another test subject. Yeah. He's another insomnia. Yeah. So he's... Uh, he's in the same position as everybody else. Yeah. Um, he was never sceptical, really, I don't think. I don't think it ever sort of came about that he was sceptical. No, no. I think they all thought Eleanor was a bit weird, but, mm. you know, they kind of did that in the original he film as well. He no, had no sort of... Any sort of interesting points to his character. He was just no. there. He was a dumb jock making silly jokes. Yeah. And I don't I don't dislike Owen Wilson. There's a lot I've seen of Owen Wilson where I've enjoyed him in his films. But in this, he was just fucking terrible. He was really bad. Is this quite early on? Yeah. And the best part of the film was when he got decapitated. <laughs> yeah. can, we, can we just talk for a second about the fact that there is a decapitation in this film? Why? Why, why did they think that was necessary? I can't believe we went from having noises here and there to scare the audience to a fucking door punching someone and a decapitation. Mm. It It's the funniest scene in the film. Like, uh, I, one of our listeners commented and said, you know, they replayed it a couple of times. And I, it's understandable because this is fucking ridiculous. A, a lion statue decapitates Owen Wilson in a remake of The Haunting. Yeah. What the fuck? I think probably what they needed... Number one, they needed some set pieces um, for a big blockbuster film. They needed some big um, moments. Um, But also, they probably thought that they needed to show the danger that these people are in. The danger of being... The original film, there's... It's scary. It's tense. There's a lot of suspense Mm. and that's created because there's some great filmmakers making that film. Whereas with the remake, Mm -hmm. you need to show that people are in danger. So because you you ain't built any suspense or tension any other way. Um, So you need fucking massive hands in a door punching someone yeah you need to show it all because it, it and it's a very lazy way of doing it you know giving it all out there um but that's I, i'm assuming is what their intent was to show that these people are in danger they are in danger of dying mm-hmm. because here's a massive hand here's a huge hue crane fucking looking monster is he yeah. a monster I don't know what the fuck he was at I the end I don't know what it was um oh it was like the fucking jolly green giant I don't, <laughs> I don't get it um yeah so it's just lazy filmmaking it's very lazy filmmaking so congratulations for us tumbling you are the Luke from the Haunted oh shit yeah we well were done. talking about Luke <laughs> <laughs> come on tangent um so Next up, the final for characters that connection that are connected between both films, you've got Dr. Markway in 1963, played by Richard Johnson, and Dr. Marrow, I don't know why it's necessary to change his name, 
Uh, played by Liam Neeson, everyone's favourite racist in 1999. Um, why was Liam Neeson in this film? I'm not sure he didn't do much, really. The original, Richard Johnson actually felt necessary. Mm. He, he was there to set things up, but he was very hands-on. He was there, he was a nice character, he was likeable. Again, everyone was likeable in the original. Um, it was probably the least interesting character. It's probably the least I interesting, feel, but he was still present. You felt yeah. his presence there. He was very much sort of like the administrator of the film. He was above it. He, mm-hmm. he was there to set it all up. It was all because of him. Mm-hmm. He had a purpose. He was a good character, fantastic performance by Richard Johnson. Yeah. What the fuck was Liam Neeson doing? It was so bland. Yeah. It was just... Oh, my God. He just... He was really misogynistic in at moments in time in the film. Like, quite early on. We both said think, it when it happened. Yeah, yeah. I think it was we did. Like a dinner I, scene. I can't really Um He was... Yeah, he, you know, he's misogynistic, he was very secretive, and it's just, okay, you want to have a twist of a character, great. Little Miss's character in Widows, now that's a fucking twist. Um, but Niss, it was just, you really knew he wasn't taking them there to look at their sleep patterns. And yeah. even when they revealed it, it still made no sense. No, like, because... What, what's the fear? What the reveal t- was fear, so I yeah. don't know. Did he set a lot of these things up? Did he create the fucking fist coming out of the door? Um, like, no, I mean in the sense of the noises. So the first night it's all the noises. Mm. So did he set all that up and then it turns out there were real ghosts? If that is the case, it wasn't revealed. No, it wasn't really and explained. So that's left for us to assume. Yeah. You know, whereas Eric has a spoon fed to you in the film. Yeah. And then in the original, you you have the dynamic between uh, Dr. Markway and his wife, Grace. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, there is no wife in the remake. No. Um, but the dynamic between Dr. Markway and his wife, Grace, is that she's sceptical. Mm. She, you know, she's pretty much had enough of him, you know, experimenting on the paranormal. She gets a load of shite. And he should think it's a load of shite. And if nothing's revealed, then can they go, please go back to their yeah. normal lives. When she disappears, he is, you know, his character becomes that of the distressed husband trying to find his wife, you know? Yeah. So it gives him a little more, gives him a little more to do, gives him a little more characterization, a little more heart. Um, whereas in the remake, he's just the guy who kind of lied to everyone and it's all kind of his fault. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just a lifeless character and a lifeless performance yeah, from Liam Neeson. So con- congratulations, Richard Johnson. You're now the proud winner of Horror Court Trash Service favourite Doctor from The Haunting. Two thumbs up. Um, now... <laughs> Todd... <laughs> Played by Todd Field only in 1999. <laughs> Unnecessary. <laughs> Todd was just and Todd Field has become quite a renowned filmmaker now. Um, the he, only thing we learn about him in this film is that he drives. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I don't get. What I don't what I don't understand 
is because let let's talk about him and Mary together. Oh yeah, yeah. Next, we might as well talk about him and Mary together. <laughs> Todd, he drives. Uh, he's our favorite Todd because he's the only Todd. Um, <laughs> Mary, um, played by Alex Karamze. Uh, Kar- Karamze. Um, she turns up with Todd. Um, so Todd and Mary are Doctor Marrow's. Uh, assistant, sort of yeah. essentially. Uh, what we get at the beginning is that Mary um, seems... She, she almost started to take the place of Eleanor in the original film. Yeah. She walked in and she, she walked into the house and she really felt a presence. And we thought, oh, wow, they're really going to turn this... And we, I said it, didn't yeah. I? They're really going to turn this on his head and we, we're going to have that character in this Mary, <laughs> the one who feels the connection to the house. Could have been a and, more wrong. You know, and they have dinner, and, and Todd doesn't do anything. Todd just sits there, he's just yeah. the other assistant. And she goes to the piano when she's really feeling the presence, and she's like, oh, oh. And she's pl- just played the piano beautifully. And one of the strings snaps. And we will we, like to believe that it's a, a ghost that broke the string <laughs> and that string slaps around the face <laughs> in what is actually quite hilarious and she's taken away by Todd to go to <laughs> the doctors or the hospital and they're never seen again <laughs> oh. and this is again for me the lazy filmmaking yeah where we're like okay so we in 1999 have to see physical danger to understand that, you know, to create tension, to understand that these people are in danger. So we we need somebody to get slapped around the face with a piano string because we're stupid. The most frustrating thing was, she was the only character that actually looked like an insomniac. She did, actually. (laughs) She looked tired. Her acting was fucking horrendous. It was so bad. She was just like... Oh, God, it's you, terrible. You've given us these characters and you've given us this moment of Mary feeling a connection to the house. You've got my interest and then you send her off to the hospital and we never see her again. Yeah. And what, what's the point? What's the fucking point? Ugh. It's just for that set piece where she gets slapped with a piano string. Mary or Grace. Um, well, yeah, I've talked quite a bit about Grace, and, and Grace is a great character. She's not in it much, and she does give the biggest scare of the film, so I would have to give it to Grace. Yeah. So, overall, The Haunting, 1963, is a horror masterpiece. Scary, well made, well acted, well written, perfect yeah. film. And 1999 is The Haunting, it's a big, big CGI mess. With some dodgy acting, with, but with some great set designs and with Catherine Zeta Jones, but still, the Haunted Night sixty three is the winner. Yeah, and I would simply put it down just to conclude. I would simply put it down to the original is, um, sleek. It's, you know, suspenseful. It's yeah. full attention because it keeps it simple. Yeah. The remake is a big bloated mess that gives you everything on a plate and you feel bloated by the end. Uh Uh-huh. Sadly, yeah. Yeah. 
And it's got Catherine Zeta-Jones, though. Yeah. So, a point for that, though. <laughs> so, that is The Haunting. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are now going to do our best and worst of the month. Oh. Take in mind, we haven't uh, we haven't watched The Invisible Man, Colour Out of Space and Dark Waters yet. That's going to be this weekend. So, this is talking from what we've seen already. Um, you know, if anything changes, we'll uh, update you next month or we'll post it on the socials. Just follow me on Letterboxd. I, I update yeah. my 2020 all the time. 2020 list. Your, your 2020. My 2020. <laughs> So, the, we'll start with the best film of this month. Um, I don't know if you agree, but First Love. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed yeah. First Love. Uh, latest film from Takeshi Miike. It's a sort of action, adventure, drama, romance, comedy. It's a tiny bit of horror, <laughs> thriller. <Yeah. laughs> Everything in one. It's... For a film called First Love, romance is at the bottom of that yeah. list. <laughs> um, it's fantastic. It is absolutely just incredible filmmaking um it's what you expect from a takashi uh, takashi miike film yeah um it, it's what's great about a lot of um japanese cinema is that it's a little batshit crazy but yeah. it does it well yeah really good really enjoyed it yeah it, it's uh gory it's genuinely funny um i mean we watched it at the Prince Charles Cinema in London, everyone was having a great time there, you know, everyone mm. really enjoyed it. It's, yeah, it, I think it's coming out on Blu-ray soon, so just check it out. Um, films like this need to be seen more often. Yeah. Um, yeah. For our worst film of the month, would you like to say what it is? Um, it's <laughs> Brahms, The Boy 2. We've got uh, 20 minutes left this episode do you think there's enough time to discuss the boy I, I'm not I'm not spending 20 minutes of my life discussing this film holy shit it was awful so spoiler alert for the boy forward a, a minute or two if you haven't seen it and you're gonna watch it the boy the original film um, you know led you to believe that a doll was doing all this weird shit around the house it's you know typical very bland first two acts and then all of a sudden like the fir- in the third act it pulls a trick out of its sleeve and we find out the original uh, Brahms who owned the doll is living in the walls and it turns into a slasher film for the last uh, half an hour or so. Great. Brilliant. That was, you know, it changed a really bland film around. Oh, boy. Literally. This sequel completely goes against everything the first film set up. Uh, Again, spoiler alert for The Boy 2... The doll is alive in this film. It is supernatural and it's fucking ridiculous. What I don't understand is that the the big selling point of the original The Boy was that twist. Yeah. Because the rest of it was boring and bland. You know, it was... Generic. Yeah. By the books, horror film about uh, a haunted doll. So... To even have a sequel, you're, you can't do that same twist again. You can't no. do it. So to even have a sequel, you're digging yourself in a, a, a hole. Because what the fuck are you going to do? Yeah, it could have been a full slasher film. That, that, yeah, you could have had that character of Brahms, the one that was living in the wall, 
you know, come out into the real world and be a maniac, a serial killer. Yeah. That's an interesting premise. Groundbreaking, absolutely not. But it's interesting. More interesting than this. What they did was rehash the the boring bits of the first film. Yeah, and make that a twist. Yeah, where you thought that this doll was, you know, alive, was, I don't know, taken over this child? What? I, I don't really get. Is everything you think it is. It's um, absolutely reliant on jump scares. Yeah. Unsurprisingly. Yeah. And I'm not against jump scares, but when a film relies on them, that pisses me off. This film relies on them so much to the point there's a scene where Katie Holmes, yes, she still has a career somehow and she's in this shit. Um, What does she do to deserve this? She's walking through the house from the first film and all of a sudden you hear, boom, like the, the usual horror film jump scare sound. But nothing fucking happens. No. She carries on walking. She doesn't. She doesn't, she doesn't turn round. She doesn't react to it. It's just like they just throw it in. It's like someone accidentally left it in during editing. Yeah. It's. I. I. I, I could not believe what I was seeing. And um, and then you've got this character that comes in, who's a relative of the family. Like we have, uh, the cousins of this family come in and. Um, you know, a bit of British culture for you. If anyone's seen Tracy Beaker, then think the acting style of that uh, and this kid is on a Tracy Beaker level. It's not great. It's CBBC level acting. Um, he comes in and he's like, you're mental. Yeah, you're mental you are. And just keeps repeating himself over and over again. And in the funniest scene in the film, he trips on a ball and lands on a spike and it is so overdramatic. It's hilarious. We're led to believe that the doll... The doll did it. <laughs> which I don't understand why the doll's called Brahms because Brahms was the name of the, the guy who lived in the war. Yeah. And the big reveal of this film is that uh, the Brahms that lived in the war wasn't the first person <laughs> to be, t- you know, taken over by this doll. Yeah, Brahms has um, been around for centuries. So I don't understand why the doll's still called Brahms. Um <laughs> The fucking film's called Brahms. Yeah, but I, I don't, I don't get why the doll's still called Brahms because the only the, the the two people, the parents in the first film only called the doll Brahms because their son was called Brahms. Yeah, I don't feel like the doll was actually called Brahms in the first place unless the the doll Brahms made the parents call <laughs> the guy who lived in the wall Brahms. Oh, I don't get fuck, it. It's so it's so confusing. It's you were explaining about the setup of the uh, spike scene. Oh god, yeah. Um, so we're led to believe that this sinister doll had a a part in this kid eventually getting a spike into his arm. <laughs> um, but then the kid was the one that broke the spike in the yeah. first place. He's the one who slipped on the ball and wasn't watching where he was going. Essentially. It's not a go. So this it's moves to this... The camera moves to this sinister doll after it's all happened. <laughs> and Katie Holmes is in the window watching it. And she knows that the doll has something to do with it. And that her son, oh, you know, what's happening to my son? He's allowed this to happen. When it was actually the big bully's own fault. 
Yeah. Because he, he actually created the situation. <sighs> the third act is honestly some of the most entertaining cinema I've seen so far this year. It is so gloriously over the top. It's hilarious. I was laughing out loud in the cinema. It was bizarre. It really was. Like, you've gone from the subtlety of the rest of the film, like, pretending this doll's alive and whatever, to this doll fucking lifting itself up, things flying everywhere. Yeah. Just watch the last ten oh, yeah, minutes. Oh, yeah, created, like, a big flame ball, didn't it? Yeah, like just doll. watch the last ten minutes of the film. That's all you need to see. And just, uh, for me personally, going back to the jump scares, um, which I hate jump scares. I hate... I'm not a big fan of films that rely too much on um, over-the-top violence or jump scares. So I'm not a big torture porn fan, and uh, I certainly don't like films like this that, you know, just make loud noises for no reason. Um, But we just talked about a film Mm. that did a jump scare to perfection. Yeah. The jump scares that you remember... For mm-hmm. me personally, The Haunting, yeah, The End of Carrie. Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. Now, Friday the 13th was a film full of jump scares. Yeah. Really. Yeah, but it was still effective. Yeah. Uh, Jaws. Yeah. And uh, Texas... Halloween. Ch- Halloween. Halloween. And uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. I feel like a real good... has Is entitled to one good scare. Mm. See what I did there? Very good. Very you good. know, and the ones that I remember tend to be in films where there's one good scare because they've built the tension and they've used a little bit of intelligence and a little bit of skill and they've created a real suspenseful atmosphere and bam. Yeah. You shit yourself. Even, do you know what? Even Conjuring 2. You look at the scene with the TV, uh-huh. where she's sitting next to the TV and it pans between that and the chair and then her and the chair, and then the next time, the old man's behind her. That's fucking great. That's yeah. done really well. So you can do it in modern cinema. It can be done really well. Of course well. you can do it in Midsummer cinema. with um what's his name? Eyebrows. Um I know who you're talking about. Oh, I can't remember. Fuck Will me. Will Poulter. Yeah. The scene where, you know, someone's wearing his face. Yeah. That scared me because the image of it made me jump. It wasn't the, a big loud noise there. The image of it made me jump. I couldn't look at the screen. Yeah. That's an effective jump scare. Because you're not expecting it. Yeah. Because the, the rest of the film hasn't been reliant on it. No. You know, and it, it's... But then this is every five minutes. It's There's a lazy scene. filming. I could make... Do you know what? I could have went out there and I could have made the Brahms, the boy too. I could have yeah. done that. Yeah. I, I could have, and, you know... Should we write to BFI and get funded and go make it? Yeah. <laughs> I could have wrote that shit. What, the Possessed Doll? Mm. You, I don't understand why it's a sequel to The Boy. Well, why is there a fucking burglary scene at the start of it? Yeah. What? You could have done <laughs> that, not had to... Co- I, I, was the original Boy, was that a big box office success? No. No? No, I don't think so. So, you could It didn't have, need a sequel. You could have done the same film, dressed that doll up like a clown, and called it, um, <laughs> Freddy. Bonzo, the boy too. <laughs> yeah, you could have called it Bob Ross. You could have called it whatever. It didn't have to be called Brahms. The fact that you've made this film, 
as a sequel to The Boy 2 yeah. actually makes the original film worse. And it does. And it, when we're saying about jump scares, it's got the classic doll horror film cliche where someone tries making the doll jump. But when Kate Holmes does this in this film and tries to make this doll jump, you don't just hear a boo. You hear a boo with a massive noise behind it. It's like, yeah. why? Yeah. And before we stop talking about this piece of shit, can we just acknowledge in the final five minutes where you all think it's all over and everything, and it's pretty much like an Amazon commercial for Alexa. Yeah. You, you go back yeah. to the family like a year later or whatever, yeah. like, hey, mum, uh, did you have your job interview today? Oh, I'm doing this new piece of art. <laughs> oh, you, pass me the food on the table. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck am I watching? It was very... Alexa, play Ed Sheeran. <laughs> uh, Alexa, tell me another joke. It was like, honestly, it was fucking dreadful. So that is it. The worst film of February. It wasn't as, just, it wasn't as bad as The Grudge. Uh, that's no. still our worst film of the year. Um, likewise, 1917 is still my film of the year. The characters um, from The Haunting remake could have done with The Grudge. Yeah. Would have gotten a real good night's sleep. Yeah. So, yeah, um... Bit of promotion um, for something that's coming up soon. So we have been given by the very kind folks at Leicester Horicon. We've been given two tickets to uh, Leicester Horicon. I've just bought it for you. Um, Yeah. So in the UK, uh, our UK listeners, if you are around Leicester or if you fancy doing a bit of traveling, there is a a horror convention on there at 28th of March. Uh, It's on 11am at the Holiday Inn in Leicester. All the details are online. Uh, there's going to be some guests there we've got Emily Booth Caroline Monroe Jonathan Rigby to name a few uh, Let's ten... talk about Slay Queens I know Caroline, Caroline Monroe, Monroe. Um, there's going to be stalls there um, 88 Films going to be there Alicat Graphics who do some great stuff uh, it's £10 entry and uh, yeah we've been giving tickets so we're going to be there if you want to come say hello to us and uh, talk to us about Tom Jones's dick or The Boy 2 and other stuff we talk about. I was gonna say, <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So it's, we're really looking forward to it. I mean, we're we're working on seeing if we can maybe get to speak to some of the uh, guests there. Maybe see if we get some interviews. It's still early stages, um, but yes, we're we're really excited for it. So uh, if you're not doing anything, come along. It should be really good. And they're doing they're doing some film screens as well. They're doing like some short films and they're showing the uh, Velasco Pasta. Velocipasta. Yeah, so it's uh, basically a dinosaur and a priest. and The, the plot is way Together more as well. elaborate than that, but it looks bizarre. Exactly our type of film. So if you love our trash side of things, go and watch that. Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it's going to be great. So come along to that. And next week's our 30th episode. And uh, we haven't decided what it's going to be yet, but we will pick something Trashy. Should we have some Yeah, trash? I think that's going to be... For the last couple of weeks... Few, yeah. Last yeah. few weeks, we've been... Last month, we spoke about good films. Trying to uh, be intellectual. Yes. Um, so, I'm a bit fed up with that. So, next week, let's talk about some absolute dog shit. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. So... Brahms has got me in the mood for oh, it. Oh, yeah. We'll do that one day, I'm sure. Oh, God. Um, I ain't watching that shit again. <laughs> so, if you're on social media, uh, we are Horror Call Trash Over on Facebook and Instagram. Communicate with us a little more. Um, 
just yeah, talk shit to us. We, you know, we always love Unless to hear. Unless you had a guy that was being very rude. Yeah. Well, they had the a first troll. Oh, God, yeah. The one who said, not cool, just trash. Like, fucking <laughs> told us. I mean, what is cool? Anyway, film. you call someone cool. We've been around for like fucking not even a year. So <laughs> congratulations, mate. We're not caught yet. Great, Excuse whatever. Me. Um, so yeah, so fuck you. And uh, But anyone else, all of our lovely usual um, commenters, you know, keep, keep telling us you hate remakes and stuff. We love to hear from you. Um... <laughs> There's been some great conversations about the Jaws remake. I'm not behind it myself. I think it's not needed. But, um, yeah, people are not happy. Uh, anyway, right, so... The Horrorcore Trash over Facebook and Instagram. Horrorcore Trash on Twitter. If you're listening on iTunes, rate, review and subscribe. It helps us out loads. Uh, everything counts, like and follow. And uh, I'm Gazmo205 on Instagram. GazCruise92 on Twitter. Gaz 92 on Letterboxd. I am Chris Barker eight two three on Instagram, Letterboxd, and Twitter. That's the one. That's, That's the, the one. one. So we'll see you same time. Well, no, we weren't actually. It was not back on Friday next week, but we'll see you on Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.